up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita, here on February 9th, 2020. So much to get into in the world of college basketball. Last week, I did a special episode remembering the life of Kobe Bryant, John Altabelli, and the lives that were lost on the horrible helicopter crash that claimed the lives of nine people. In addition to that, also did something in the reality TV realm, previewing the latest season of Survivor, season 40, Winners at War. You can go back and check that out. But today we're getting back into sports. It's time to talk college basketball. And maybe we'll get into some other stuff today. I've got an excellent guest, so kind enough to join me, Northwestern women's basketball legend, Maggie Lyon. How are you doing, Maggie? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you. First time on a podcast? First time on a podcast. You know, I've always talked about wanting to do a podcast. This, <laughs> is, uh, this is exciting. Yeah. I get a little, uh, get my feet wet in the podcast. Yeah, it's great to have you here joining me in studio. Too. I know. It's a fancy studio. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Chilling in the dining room. <laughs> hey, you know, it's better than uh, better than via phone. I feel like uh, whenever I listen to a podcast uh, over the phone, it doesn't uh, the audio doesn't sound as good. So this is you know, no one needs to know what the studio looks like. It's yeah, a great studio. Yeah. It's fancy, fancy professional studio. <laughs> My dog's hanging a, out here. It's got a mic. We got computer screens in front of us. We got notes. We're good. Good to go. We are good. Maggie, what would you say is the biggest story of the college basketball season this far? Um, What's the first thing that comes to mind? Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is that this is not a very good college basketball season. <laughs> uh, I think, you know. Well, it depends on how you define that. Right. I think that uh, there's not a lot. There's not one team that you're like, this is the powerhouse. You know, last year we had Duke and Zion. That was must-watch TV. Didn't want to miss any of those games. Um, this year, you're, you know, San Diego State is the is the undefeated team. Baylor's got one loss. Baylor hasn't entered into the top five college basketball conversation in a couple of years. And San Diego State, you know, they, they're always pretty good, but, you know, they're on the West Coast. They're in a mid-major conference. So, them being undefeated, you know, you always have the caveat of, oh, well, they don't play very good competition, this and that. So, um, you know, the good teams are not as good, I think people would say, as any given year. The Blue Bloods are not as good, and I think that's kind of the glaring thing. People are like, well, you know, if Duke's not that great, if North Carolina's not that great, if Kentucky's not that great, if Kansas isn't that great, and obviously they're good relatively, but I think they got more losses than usual. They're losing the worst teams. Um and honestly, the the star power of this this year is not as good. I think you usually are looking for those, you know, the five star one and done guys who are going to be the number one pick in the draft. And you know, the I think the twenty twenty NBA draft is the weakest class it has been in I don't know five, six, seven years. And uh, the top three picks aren't even playing college basketball yeah. right now. So I yeah, actually, even, even the top four, you got like I think there's about like four or five foreigners that are. Um, going to be drafted in the first round and so I think there's not there's not a ton of reasons for a casual fan to want to tune in which is unfortunate but I, everything goes in cycles so hopefully they can pick it up but there I mean there still are some, some good storylines but I'd say that the biggest storyline is that it's a little down this year well yeah I think what what's shaping up to be is a wild tournament where you could get some Cinderella teams making a run which is my kind of tournament that I love for and sure. so it's very open this year 
we were talking a little bit before we got on the air here. The thing with the Big Ten is it's you got like nine or ten good teams that are all interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think in the Big Ten, every single night, you're, there are going to be ten teams that are going to give you a tough game. But there's no real great team in that conference right now. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm just looking at the standings now, and uh, two two of the teams that are near the bottom are Michigan and Ohio State, which at one point in this season were ranked like AP number one or number two. <laughs> yeah. And so now you got them near the bottom of the Big Ten, um, along with my sadly Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's on the men's side. Um, but uh, so it's it's it has been a crazy year because you know Michigan and Ohio State probably do have the ability to beat Maryland at the top at, on any given night, um, but they just they kind of hit some road bumps during conference season, and then you also have Penn State and Illinois who are <laughs> yeah. tied for second. That's insane. They have not been you know notoriously good in the Big Ten, and so that kind of adds an interesting thing. Uh, makes it a little bit more exciting for uh, for you know parity in, in Big Ten, uh, but yeah, on any given night, especially you know you got Rutgers, Purdue, um, their tough matchups on any given night. Uh, I think honestly, Northwestern gives people a hard time every single time, but we just haven't been on the winning end of that. Yeah, we stay in games, yeah, and we just lose out a little bit at the end. But no, for sure, I, I also think I'm obviously a homer, big, huge Big Ten fan. Um, but I do truly think that it's one of the conferences that is one of the most competitive every single year, and you never know who's going to win. You know, obviously there's certain teams that win the whole conference uh, more often, but in terms of competitive games on any given night, Big Ten I think is you know second to none. Yeah, the Big Ten. It's really interesting. I was thinking about Michigan in terms of what's happened with them because. I don't think they've had any injuries. I think they've had the same crew intact this whole year. I feel like one of the worst things that happened to them was being number one because Mm -hmm. I feel like they started out, Jawan Howard comes in, he's got this message, no one's expecting us to do anything real great this year. Mm -hmm. They come out with a big win, North Carolina, Gonzaga, in the same week. Right. And North Carolina, (laughs) we'll talk about North Carolina, what's happened with them. Turns out they aren't who we thought they were. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone was at the time thinking that Michigan was the best team in the country, but at the time they had the best resume. They hadn't lost. Right. And I feel like that may have inflated some egos and could have contributed to their demise along the way here. For sure. I think a huge part of just playing basketball and being on a team in college basketball is... Uh, you know, the pressure that goes into every game. If you are not expected to win, if you're not expected to have a good season, you got a new coach, you got, you know, new pieces to the puzzle to fit in, this is just a rebuilding year, whatever, there is no pressure. Every single night you go into a game and, you know, does it matter that you win? Yes, because you're a competitor and you're a basketball player and you want to win. Coaches are trying to get you prepared to win. But at the end of the day, uh, there's not really a target on your back. The second, though, you get those big wins and you're Michigan, so you are on the national stage, you get that ranking, and then all of a sudden these players who are playing with nothing to lose are now playing with everything to lose. Yeah. They, you know, they tighten up, um, and they're just in uh, – they have more pressure than they, um, you know, they start the season out with. And I think that adds stress and that adds different factors that weren't there earlier. And I think just like, you know, in any sport – 
the, the talent level at this at this level, everyone's got the talent, but it's the intangibles of can you finish games? Are you mentally tough enough? Are you, um, you know, do you have depth on your bench and stuff like that? And when there's a target on your back all of a sudden and you're in the top five rankings in the country, you're getting everyone's best performance every single night. So I think that is definitely a factor to maybe an inexperienced Michigan team where they were doing great. And then all of a sudden they had this national tension and they were like, whoa, whoa, this wasn't what we were supposed to have this year. Yeah. And I think that also, honestly, it was the case with Ohio State a little bit. But Yeah, that's I was just about to say you think it was the same thing with Ohio State? I think so, which which is interesting because Ohio State has like, you know, their, some of their best players um, with the Caleb Wesson. He's, you know, he's been around the block a few times. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm surprised that they didn't have you know enough like leadership on the team to kind of hold people together, and that's another huge thing um, with like blue bloods with a bunch of one and dones. You need that senior leadership, that you know junior leadership, someone who's been there, has contributed, had a lot of minutes, had a lot of experience at a high level to be able to help the teammates through a season. Basketball is the longest season of any college sport. And you hit mid-January, you hit early February, and you either want to just, you know, you want nothing to do with your teammates, you want nothing to do with your coaches, and it's a grind. And you got to have those players that are able to be like, hey, I know it's tough right now. I know we just have been on the road for the past week. We're doing, we're in classes, we're taking tests, you know, we got practice, we got this and that, but we have to hold it together and we've got to grind out this win. So especially after you lose a couple in a row, your confidence gets shaken. So, um, so yeah, I think that teams that a play good defense and B have good senior leadership in the long run will, will do better. I think so too. It's interesting because lately we've been seeing this, the teams that are making these deep runs are not the one and done type of teams. Mm -hmm. Now we've had some in recent memory, but it's so weird because a team like Kentucky, a team like Duke, their measuring stick for success is winning the national championship. Right. And anything short of that should be a pretty big disappointment with the amount of talent that they bring in. Right. No, I agree. I think that uh, it's it's not – I don't want to say it's smoke and mirrors, but, like, you know, there's a front that these blue blood programs have. And once you kind of see through that a little bit as an opponent to them – you realize that you might not have nearly the amount of talent that you that they have, but you have a better team unit. You have more experience, which you know in the college basketball world is is huge. Um, and I think that uh, when there's pressure from these blue blood programs, the fan bases, everybody, they want to win a national championship when they have Zion Williamson on the team because it's their chance. Like Jabari Parker's on the team. Like we got to do it. <laughs> and you know, they get upset in the tournament. Whereas a Virginia who have all these guys who had, you know, worked together team unit, like everything that Virginia basketball stands for, Tony Bennett stands for, they, um, you know, they're just mentally tougher because of that. And uh, I don't know, I think that takes the pressure off a little bit more than you trust in yourselves a little bit more. So, yeah. Well, we could talk. This is a good time to transition over to that Duke-North Carolina game from last night. Oh, yeah. Every time those teams meet, it's always an instant classic. It's unbelievable. No, seriously. It is, you know, I... It, it takes me back a little bit to uh, 
in high school, Nutria versus Evanston, big rivalry. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't matter how good we were or Evanston was uh, on any given night when we played each other because you knew that game was going to be competitive. You know, Evanston wasn't that great for girls when I was in high school, but every single time we played them, it was a close game. Like we were definitely better team. And if it was, you know, just a random two high schools playing each other, we would have been in my 20. But every single time, it's just that heightened excitement about it, the buzz and everything. Um, and so the, the, it's almost eerie, the, the record between like, I think it was the last 50 before last night, the last, 100 games or last 50 games. Yeah, the last 100 games, 50, 50 and 50. 50. And the points were equal. Same amount of points. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that is, that's that's eerie. Um, so now, you know, Duke's got one more win and got two more points. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, there were some bad calls down the stretch there. Yeah. No, I, but this is my thing. At the end of the day, there's always been bad calls. Right. And... People like to look to the end of the game as the deciding factor when, what about that turnover you made with five minutes sure. left? What about that missed free throw you made yeah. two minutes into the game? I know that's, you know, kind of a cheap argument, but it's There's validity it is true. To it. Yeah. And I think, you know, now that I um, I coach basketball a little bit, I uh, it's something that I definitely preach to my, my kids because... You know, you can't – you got to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, what could I have done better? Um, I mean, North Carolina choked regardless. For sure. And I think that's what this shows. Like, North Carolina is not good this year. And what's going to end up happening in a game like this is the better team will typically end up on top because late game situations, pressure situations, <clears throat> usually the worst team, they crumble. They yeah. just they just do. And – uh you know, wins and losses, I think, you know, I, I looked my freshman year at Northwestern, every, we ended up, I think we were, like, we were pretty near the bottom of the Big Ten. I think we only won four or five games of the Big Ten that year. But every single game, like, we did not lose a single game by more than eight points. Every single game was a really close game. We were in it the whole time, but we never ended up on top. And that shows, like, we weren't as experienced yet. We weren't as good yet. But we were able to compete. But at the end of the day, closing out a game, that is like the next level you take as a good team. And so that's what North Carolina, they choked. They gave Duke the game. Duke, I think, wanted to try and give the game back to North Carolina. But finally, you know, Duke prevailed. I don't think you can script what um, Trey Jones did any any better. You, you can't practice that 100 times. And I think that happens once. Yeah, the throw off the rim. I was I was watching that. I was thinking people don't realize how difficult that is to throw a line drive straight at the rim that's going to bounce out that way. Yeah, impossible. It really – I think said <laughs> in, I don't know, post-game interview or something that he actually had practiced it before, which is interesting because I don't think I ever practiced that as a player. <laughs> um, but – uh, and then not only was he the one on Duke's team that had practiced that, but he was the one at the line who was able to do it. Like, you know, Vernon Carey was at the line. It doesn't mean that he, but he probably wouldn't have been able to do that. Most of the time when people do that, they totally mess it up and it ends up helping out the other team. Um, I actually thought it was a potential double dribble. I think the argument oh. was that, you know, he lost yeah. possession. But I thought it was kind of a, I don't know, a little sketchy play there. But I'm glad that it wasn't called that because it was just it, such it was a, a tough, sick play. Yeah, no, I think – and I also think that earlier in the game, if that had happened, they might have called something. But I just 
I think it's hard for refs at the end of the game like that to um, they don't wanna, yeah. they don't want to be the ones to decide a game. Sometimes you get refs who think it's all about them. They do, but um, <laughs> I think that uh, no, it was wild, and it just you know it always lives up to the hype. It's incredible. You brought up your freshman year at Northwestern, mm-hmm. Big Ten freshman of the year. This is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, exciting. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was in a fortunate situation where I got a lot of opportunity my freshman year. So um, got a lot of playing time and um, my coach really let me kind of work through mistakes, which is, I think, a huge thing in like growth and development of a player is being able to let them make mistakes and keep playing. Sometimes you see coaches who, you know, they pull someone right away if they turn the ball over, pull them right away if they miss the block out, um, anything like that. And I was kind of able to really kind of work through um, that and uh, through those freshman mistakes because that's definitely something that happens. And uh, so I got a lot of experience and obviously fortunate situation. So, yeah, that was fun. That's awesome. So you have a lot of experience playing in all these arenas. Mm-hmm. Every you, every men's team shares a women's they, – they share the same court, right, in the Big Ten? Correct, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So without bias, mm-hmm. favorite court – that you just saw, you're like, that's a really cool court or a really cool arena. Because uh, I was just at Assembly Hall and I thought it was pretty cool there. Uh, the Barn at Minnesota. Okay. By far my favorite. It's so cool. It's got that raised court and it's called The Barn uh, and it truly does feel like a barn. Like the, the <laughs> ceiling and everything, the structure uh, feels a little bit, I mean, obviously it's, it's a huge barn, uh, but it's, it's awesome. I really, really liked playing there. It was just kind of a unique uh, you feel like it's like a basketball arena. Um, whereas, you know, Penn State, Nebraska, Ohio State, Wisconsin, those are those are arenas that they have concerts into. True. Um, so the ones that are really basketball, you know, as much as I don't uh, love Indiana, I do, <laughs> I do like Assembly Hall. It's, it's cool how everyone feels like right on top of you. That yeah. also is something that I didn't like about it because the sidelines are like right, like you are right oh, on top yeah. of the fans. Um and but I, I'd say the barn was by far my favorite, and then I'd say my least favorite, even though you didn't ask me, would be <laughs> Iowa. I did not like Iowa at all. So. What's what do you not like about Iowa? Um, I haven't been there, so yeah, I'm I think that their fans are obnoxious, and I think <laughs> that um, they always get ridiculous calls in their favor there. But that's all. <laughs> well, I'm you're just that, talking about roughing. <laughs> I want to be political. Uh, I want to be politically correct, so that's all that I'll say about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think in just in addition to like the way that a court looks, mm-hmm. one of the weird ones is up at Oakland. Have you seen Oakland? Oh yeah, yeah, yes. Actually, well, it's funny. My first two years at Northwestern, we had kind of a weird court. Our the inside the three point line was uh, like a purple wood. Um, but Oakland's weird because the whole court is like gray or right. Yeah, like it's that. like a it's a black. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. They call it the black top. Yeah, I think that's weird. I, I to be honest, think that is an advantage for Oakland. Oh, absolutely. The more that like you know, if they practice on that, they're familiar with it. Uh, you know, Oregon's kind of got a weird court too. They've got like the forest around the the um, yeah the outline. Um, but yeah, no, Oakland. That's that's a that's a weird one. 
My favorites to look at when watching TV, North Carolina and Indiana. Because I just love the state logo. I think that's so cool to have the center court. For sure. No, that's a good... It's a... I never actually pay attention to the logo. That's a good... Uh, I should I should pay attention to that. <laughs> I think, actually, Nebraska has their state, like, outlined at yeah. the end. But then, uh, you know, Nebraska, absolutely the nicest people in, like, on this earth. I Better than Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota people are nice, too. No, but, like, the people in Lincoln, Nebraska, I cannot speak more kindly of. They are incredible. Like, after the game, you know, they'd be like, hey, you did great. Like, I'm so sorry about the loss. It's like, well, you guys just beat us. You should be happy. And like, even before the game, like, their radio, um, they had a radio guy who would travel with them to Evanston and then, you know, whenever we were there. So, throughout my four years, he saw me play a lot. I didn't really know him, but... Um, and so my senior year, the last time we played there, and we were at shoot around. And he he was there, and he came up to me, and he was like, you know, I just want to tell you, like, so enjoyed watching your career, and like, I wish you nothing but the best, and you know, just this and that. And he, I was like, wow, that is yeah. from a competitor. That is, That's he was so really nice. nice. I and everybody in town. You know, we'd be at our hotel the night before, and everyone was like, oh, like, do you need restaurant suggestions? Like, we're so happy that you're in Lincoln. So uh, I couldn't speak high enough about um, Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska in general. But uh, Arena was, you know, it's fine. But it's like, it's one of those just kind of, uh, it feels cold. They have good fan turnout there. Huge. I would believe it, yeah. I would say potentially even more than the men's program. Wow. Women's program is huge there. Uh, They would like, the whole arena would be packed when we played there, which was super fun. And they would have, honestly, they would have signs for like their bench players. People who wouldn't even get in. Like fans were like, go, you know, Lisa. And like Lisa's sitting on the bench. But uh, (laughs) no, it's incredible. That's awesome. And that's, you know, that's the interesting thing about college basketball is that you got these people or you have these college towns that there's no professional sports there and uh they just live and breathe their college sports there i love it it's so i it's so great because i prefer college basketball over nba Mm -hmm. college football over nfl right yeah you have this just like allegiance and like emotional attachment to a team which i guess you know some people do for i think some people do for nfl teams but yeah not as much i'd say for like an nba team well yeah and it's we have to think about where we live College sports aren't as big here in Chicago. Right. The pro sports are the big thing. Right. Yeah. But no, I agree. The Indiana fans, they were very passionate. Yeah. Someone threw something onto the court when I was there. It was the Michigan State game, if you saw that game a couple oh, weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a good game. It was a great game. Yeah. So I've seen now, over the last two weeks, because I saw Marquette versus DePaul okay. last Saturday. So I've seen... DePaul, disappointing end of... Uh, yeah, started out pretty strong. Yeah. I was, I was on the DePaul bandwagon until recently. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. So I've seen now Cassius Winston mm-hmm. and Marcus Howard, maybe yeah. the two best guards in the country over the last two weeks. And... I got to say, there was one that I prefer in terms of I liked his game more mm-hmm. than the other. Can you guess which one? Um, I'm trying to remember what you said earlier. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. You didn't I didn't. Say. I didn't yeah. I'll say, I, I was just talking about myself because I know who my favorite <laughs> is. Uh, I would say. Well, I guess you I could. I would say you would like Cassius better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I'm on the same boat. I think that Marcus Howard is, not is can be electric on any given night, which is awesome. Super fun to watch. But then there's times where, like, he'll go, you know, 2 of 15 from 3. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just – I'm not interested in watching that. 
the way that Cassius Winston can control the tempo of a game and can uh, make his teammates better, hit shots when he needs to hit shots, super clutch. Um, he's got such a nice calm, step back jumper. Yeah, and he's just calm demeanor in the in the midst of uh, you know a crazy game. I think is 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 awesome. He's a gamer. He's a winner. He's a leader. And, uh, no, I'm a big Cassius Winston fan, if you couldn't tell. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's got a great game. Yeah, Marcus Howard came out in the first 12 minutes or so. He had 17. And I'm like, he's shooting the lights out. He might put up 40. This is great. And then he had a cold spell in the middle of the game. And they finished the game very strong. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's very entertaining to watch for that reason. But that can bring Marquette into spots where... They might their offense might not be flowing very well. Right, I think they live and die by Marcus Howard. Yeah, um, and that's just not reliable basketball. Uh, I think that a lot of the times in years past, Duke has like lived and died by the three. Um, and I think that like Marquette this year specifically, because they used to have um, who are those tw- the. Um, Hauser twins, is that what it, or brothers, who transferred Yeah. when they knew Marcus Howard was coming back. Um, so he doesn't really have a ton of, I, I can't, I don't want to say he doesn't have a ton of help because I can't speak totally to the Marquette uh, team. I'm, I've seen them play only a couple times, but um, you know, he's, he's for sure electric, but I think sometimes when you're a high volume shooter and you have the ultimate green light, uh, it's a little bit easier to score a lot of points and be electric because you are allowed to shoot whenever you want. Uh, but no, we were talking also earlier about the comparison yeah. to him and Carson Edwards. And uh, I definitely think there are comparisons there where, you know, undersized guard uh, and can just light it up. Yeah. Uh, I think Carson honestly has a little bit better like efficiency rating. I think he shot a little bit better, uh, but I'd have to actually check the stats on that. I'm not sure. Uh, but in terms of what Carson Edwards did in the NCAA tournament last year, I don't think we won't see that for a while. That was unbelievable. Just like 50 point games back to back, knocking down clutch three after clutch three with people's hands in their faces, someone six inches taller than him. Like it was unbelievable. I was bummed they lost that game to Virginia because I, I wanted the ride to the, keep going. That was one of the best college basketball games I've ever seen. We and that's had, we talked about yeah. earlier how about you know the better team ends up just closing the game and yeah. Virginia you know they won the national championship they they grinded it out and they you got to make those key plays down the stretch and that's what they did. Purdue is starting to peak right now at the right time. They just blew out Iowa the Which other night. Which was crazy, especially with the Bobby Knight re- return. I can't believe that Indiana lost. Uh, yeah, they, that, then, they, then they beat Indiana. Yeah, the next game. Yeah. 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 Oh, you said yeah. yeah the game. Iowa game. But Iowa, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking Indiana yesterday. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think Purdue is very hit or miss. I think. You know, I think they needed more out of Nojel Eastern this year than he can give. I think he's a great player, um, but you know, I think he's a real good complementary player. They don't necessarily have uh, that like star. Yeah, I think they're setting themselves up well for next year, though. Yeah, for sure. And I really like Matt Painter, the coach. I Great think that coach. He does, I think he does a really good job. I've loved their teams. Like, back in the day with Etwan Moore and, and Juwan Johnson and Robbie yeah. Hummel <laughs> and 
uh, you know, all those teams. That was like when Big Ten. That was like the heyday. <laughs> I miss that. Yeah. So I'm thinking about some of these teams. Indiana wins that game mm-hmm. that I go to, and they end up losing by one to Maryland that weekend. That was a close game. They ended up choking in. I When I saw them beat Michigan State, I'm like, that's a tournament team right there. Right. This, there are a lot of these Big Ten teams that you just don't know what to make of because they look like one – they look like a tournament team one second and yeah. they don't the next second. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Like, I think uh, Joe Lenardi has 10 of the 14 Big Ten teams in right now. I think it probably changed after yesterday. But yeah. um, it's – no, you're totally right. The, the middle – the Big Ten's biggest issue entering into the NCAA tournament or getting a bid um, will be – the Big Ten, like that's their that's their biggest thing because everyone beats up on everyone, yeah. so that everyone's records gets messed up, um, and no one consistently like, oh, we're gonna like we swept Penn State, we swept this team, whatever. No, everyone's either splitting or losing to close games, whatever it is. Um, and I think you know they beat Indiana beats Michigan State, and then they lose by one to Maryland. And if they had beat Maryland, so that would have been two back to, or it would have been three straight wins. Two back-to-back top 20 wins. Yeah. And then you don't know what then happens at Penn State, Ohio State, Purdue. Like, it is all about, like, a momentum that you build. And any given loss can just derail you completely. Or any win can propel you forward. So this is, like, huge crunch time of the season. And I think that loss to Maryland was real. um, Yeah. Could be... They do have the win over Florida State, which is looking really good for them. Right. But what I'm curious in terms of what do you think would be the general magic number in terms of conference wins that you would need in the Big Ten this year? That's a good question. Um, So they have 18 games. uh, Nine and nine, ten and eight. Yeah, I think even sometimes people go eight and ten and get in. Yeah. It just depends on what their non-conference is. It could happen this year based on how some of these other conferences are weaker than they have been in yeah i think if you're i think if you're nine and nine though i i think you will have a shot potentially depending on what your non-conference uh schedule was because you think you want to get to like 20 wins usually um but and and you don't want to usually have more than i'd say like 11 or 12 losses so i think nine and nine it might be the cutoff I'm looking at Michigan State right now. Mm-hmm. Three straight losses. They came in. Were they the number one team coming into the year? They were either one or two. Um, I think they were one. I think they might have been number three because they played. Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. They were they were top four team because all the champions classic teams they were, the no- were. They were the number one. Yeah, they were number they one. Kentucky, who was number two yeah. at the start of the season in the champions classic. Yeah. Yeah. What do you make of them right now? You know, I think that they'll figure it out. I think, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people kind of joke in sports media sometimes that Tommy Zoe actually likes to go on a little bit of a rough patch no, yeah, in the middle of yeah. the Big Ten season just so that he can, you know, get his team down so then he can build them back up. Um, I think they'll figure it out. I think when you have a senior leader like Cassius Winston and someone like Xavier Tillman who's also been around the block a few times um, – that is so valuable when you come to the end of the season. Uh, people who have been there, people who have um, you know, gone through the highs, gone through the lows. So I think that I have 
utter faith in uh, Cassius to to get this team back on the right track. And same thing with Izzo. You know, Izzo's teams, they honestly haven't done as good in March uh, in the past, like, two or three years. Yeah. But, you know, he you just can't count him out. Well, you, you know, can't. you were hinting at this. I feel like they do better in March when they don't have the target on their backs. Correct. Because I think of the year they went to the Final Four in 2015. They were like a eight seed. Seven or eight, yeah. yeah. With Denzel Valentine. Yeah. The talent was there, but they had a similar type of stretch like this right. that dipped them down. Yeah. So this could be a blessing in disguise for his guys. Mm-hmm. They, though, I'm looking at the the, the rest of they the schedule. They have a tough yeah. stretch. They've got... The only easy ones, the only unranked games are Nebraska, which should be an easy one for them. And then Ohio State, which you never know. Yeah. Uh, everyone else, though, you know, they've got Illinois, they've got Maryland twice, they've got Iowa, they've got Penn State. So, um, and the majority, they only have three home games in that stretch. So that's going to be tough. They're going to have to, they probably, they're going to have to go, well, how many games is that? That's like seven. So they probably have to go like four and three or five and two. Uh, expect to lose a few, but um, really got to win the home games. That's going to be huge. I don't think they're going to be ranked this week. Really? Because they're 16. Guess, yeah. They lost two games this week. Mm-hmm. So they'll be yeah, 16 and 8. What you'll find is a lot of times rankings, politics get into yeah. play. So That's what I'm curious to see. They'll keep them ranked. I, they'll be maybe like 25 or something uh, just because it's Michigan State. True. And you got to be you know nationally relevant. Other any other teams in this Big Ten you want to talk about? How about Illinois? You know, it's funny. I'm naturally because I'm a Northwestern fan <laughs> and a Northwestern alum, not a big Illinois fan, but uh, they are good and they have grinded out wins. They've got uh, I don't I have no idea how to say his name, but Kofi Coburn. No, uh, Io Desunma. Yeah, or something. Yeah, that was good. You got yeah. it. He's. He's good. I kind of had doubts in him at the beginning of the year. I was watching him a bunch. Uh, but I'll be interested to see if they keep uh, keep playing well. I think this, the name of the game with Illinois has been underachieving or just kind of uh, disappointing season. So yeah. I, I'm just waiting for that to, <laughs> to happen. But, hey, if they keep winning, more power to them. We need some good Big Ten teams because at the end of the day, when my cats are at the bottom – I'm rooting for the Big Ten, so. Yeah, and it's good to have Illinois basketball being relevant. This state should have a good team. Yes and no, because I'm a Northwestern fan. Right. So I think that <laughs> if we have a good team, we yes. could be, yeah. we got to get the Chicago guys. We got to get the good Illinois guys. But, yeah, I know it's, I. I when Loyola was in the Final Four, how awesome was that? Right. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, I think that Illinois should be better than they are. And I don't understand what their issue is. Um, they were great with Bill Self. They were great with Bruce Weber. I don't say I don't necessarily want them to get better because you know it might <laughs> negatively, negatively affect Northwestern and yeah. Illinois fans will start to be more obnoxious than they already are. <laughs> um, but they've been humbled for a while. Well, you'd think, but yeah. they still talk crap. I mean, they, oh, okay. They talk I haven't been stuff. experiencing too much of that. I'm a Northwestern fan too. They're always like, you know, they they always try to take Northwestern's, you know, phrases were Chicago's Big Ten team. Yeah. And they always want to say they're Chicago's Big Ten team. I'm like, oh, really? When's the last time you beat us in anything? <laughs> Except for men's basketball. Well, and how far away are you from Chicago? You're in the middle right. of the I'm state. Like, I'm two and a half hours away. I mean, move your university up here. But, anyways, that's. <laughs> 
Got some negative feelings about some Big Ten teams. <laughs> I should probably not say that. <laughs> it's all good. Edit that out. <laughs> so in the Big East, we got to. Yes. Would you say the Big East is the best conference this year, or would you go Big Ten? You know, I always struggle to say that any conference is the best conference because I think it depends on what you're talking about. I've always want to say Big Ten is the best when people would say the ACC was best in years past because I always have the argument where it's super competitive. So, and the um, ACC is more top heavy. Exactly. Yeah. That's how I always feel. However, I think um, I don't think the Big Ten is as good as Big East this year, and I think the Big East has that um, argument where it's super competitive on any given night. I mean, DePaul is one in ten in Big East right now, but they beat Texas Tech early in the year. I I think they beat Iowa by twenty at, at Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, you know, what DePaul is capable of doing on any given night is is could be really good. They're on a bit of a, a, a rough patch right now. But, no, you look at the top, I don't know, seven in the Big East, and those are all really good teams. So I think the Big East is the most competitive conference this year, bar none, for sure. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and then, you know, with UNC, UVA not being good in ACC right now, uh, Big 12 bottom half is super bad this year. Um, I definitely, I would say the Big East is the best conference this year. Seton Hall beats Villanova yesterday. Mm-hmm. Big win for them. Yeah. I don't think Seton Hall has ever been this good in our lifetimes as sports fans. Yeah. Because they're no, going to move into right. the top no, 10. I, I think you're right. I think Miles Powell for Seton Hall, that's must-watch TV. Oh, He's yeah. like Marcus Howard in terms of being electric and score so many points. But he, he makes his teammates better. He looks to pass. He's just super strong, like gritty, hardworking player. I really like watching him play. Um, and I think that they play that like Biggie's brand of basketball is is like hardworking blue collar. They play defense. They smart fundamental uh, offense and well coached. All that kind of stuff. So uh, those are the kind of teams that will make runs in March because they're gritty. They uh, you know teams like who have just electric offenses but don't care a lot about defense that they. They just won't. They won't do as good because they'll have down shooting nights. The question, though, is with Miles Powell, when you have someone who scores so much like that, you know, if he has a tough game in the NCAA tournament, how will they be able to recover from that? Uh, but I think they've proven that they have a real good team unit that can kind of withstand uh, a bad shooting night by Miles Powell. Yeah. So there are a lot of teams that are interesting in the Big East this year. It's so deep yeah. as we talk about Butler. Mm-hmm. Has been they? I think they were up at. They were like number two in the country. Too. Yeah, we, that, I would love to see uh, what the top twenty-five like the whole. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, fluctuation. How many teams that, have been in the top five? Who are now like season? either out or yeah, uh, like you know, in the twenties now. But yeah, no Butler. I really like that Laval Jordan, the coach, and I saw. So he coached at Milwaukee for a year. Yes, and I was covering Valpo at the time. Mm-hmm. And I covered the Valpo-Milwaukee game at the conference tournament in Mm -hmm. Detroit. And I was right behind his bench. And I can tell you he's an amazing coach. Yeah. No, everything I've seen about him, um, he just – he gets his players to buy in to the team concept. Everyone does their job. They play great defense. They're super disciplined shot selection on offense. Um, 
no, they play a great, great brand of basketball. I like watching Butler play. Uh, and it's interesting. Butler in general just breeds those kind of coaches. You go yeah. from Brad Stevens to Chris Holtman to Laval Jordan. Are you kidding me? Those three coaches and going to Butler, that's like, why can't high majors, they want to get these, you know, flashy coaches. Yeah. But it's guys like this who they can turn a program around because it's all about culture. That's the, you know what, why they hired, uh, you know, when Beeline left Michigan, Juwan Howard, you know, building the culture of the program is huge. And I think that um, that's what Butler has been so good at is getting the right players into their system that have the same character that they preach on. Um, I think that's huge in building a program. It's not about just getting these big five-star one-and-dones who don't fit your program, but, you know, it's flashy to get someone like that. It's like, no, you have to get the right person who's going to want to play with like-minded and, like, uh, similar individuals and who will buy into a coaching staff who believes in them and, and, and whatnot. So It's crazy to think about Butler – they used to be in the Horizon League with Valpo, and now right. Valpo's moved up to the Missouri Valley. So yeah. Valpo has moved up. Mm-hmm. These two, those were huge rivals. Mm-hmm. That was their big rivalry. Now Val- Butler doesn't play Valpo anymore. They don't want to play him yeah. anymore. But if you were to go back, say, like to 2008, and someone said, Butler is going to be maybe the best program in the state of Indiana, how unbelievable would that have sounded? No, I, I, I completely agree. I think that... Uh, Indiana and Purdue fans are, are, are kicking themselves. They're like, <laughs> why can't we get our program to be like that? Uh, but no, I, I think that, you know, it's because... I think a little bit is because they've been in conferences that have not been as competitive as the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had time to kind of go through growing pains. Whereas, you know, when you're at a Indiana or Purdue, if, if you don't perform, you don't succeed within two, three, four years, you're out. They're going on to the bigger, better thing. And you're also dealing with getting recruits who um, are going to be three-year, four-year guys. Uh, whereas Indiana and Purdue, you're, you're competing recruiting-wise against, you know, you're, you're trying to get the McDonald's All-Americans. Whereas, you know, Butler, I don't think, obviously they would love a McDonald's All-American, but I think what they're looking for is that four-star guy who's really going to impact the program, who sometimes at the end of the day is going to be more positive than getting that five-star guy who has all the awards. Yeah, they'll buy into the program. Yeah. They won't leave early. Right. Butler, oh, my gosh. It's just I'm just thinking about those programs, and we'll talk, we can talk about Gonzaga in a second. Mm-hmm. Really, in terms of those programs, how hard it is to go from mid-major to perennial power, which Butler is becoming a perennial power Wichita mm-hmm. State comes to mind. They made the mm-hmm. move up to the American. Right. Uh, and then Gonzaga. Is there anyone else that comes to mind for you? Uh, honestly, San Diego State, like yeah. I talked about earlier, uh, they have been, like, you know, up. they've had more down years than those teams, but it's not surprising this year that San Diego State is undefeated. They're, they've been super good. Honestly, if you look at, like, a BYU, they've had uh, tremendous success Um you know, at a level that is not, you know, power five. Yeah. I think um, St. Mary's has been yeah. really, really good. A lot of West Coast teams, actually. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. But, yeah, no, I always think it's fun to see the mid-majors uh, making runs. and Because it is. It's really hard to get 
it's really hard to get players to your school, but it's also really hard to to eye the talent that's underrated. Like it's really yeah. hard to find that player. Like you might think they're underrated, but you got to know that when they get to college, they're going to be a difference maker. Because maybe they're underrated because they just aren't that good, but they also might be underrated because you know no one's really given them a fair chance. And there's I think it's a fine line between finding that talent, and that's what the those teams do is is get guys who are being overlooked by the bigger programs, but are good enough to totally make a huge difference. So in terms of Gonzaga, San Diego State, mm-hmm. do you have a preference for one of these teams come tournament time that you would buy more stock into? Oh, I think Gonzaga because they've been there. Yeah, they have the history. They've been there. They have, um, you know, coaching staff that's been there. Uh, I think that this team is actually – even though they might not have like a Zach Collins who was a lottery pick. They don't have a Brandon Clark last year who was a big pick and um, they don't have necessarily like the the huge names. Even though I mean they do have stars on their team. Yeah. But I think that they're super solid. I think they're really, really good. Um, and what they've done over the years is building up their non-conference schedule. So they, they, they've played tough teams. It used to be that no one wanted to, no one wanted to give any credit to Gonzaga because they weren't playing anybody, which is true. Their, well, their conference I, schedule is a lot easier than playing in the Big Ten, yeah. Big East, and getting beat. Well, I'll, I'll push back to it and say if you're a team like Valpo, it's really hard to get teams to play you. If they, because Gonzaga has a reputation now. For sure. So if you beat Gonzaga, you're going to get credit for beating Gonzaga. Right. But, I'll give you an example. When Valpo had their team three, four years ago with Alec Peters, mm-hmm. they were one of the best mid-majors in the country. But if when Kentucky played them, they didn't get any credit for beating right. Valpo. Right. No, it's a, no for sure. Um, that's, a, that's a great point that you bring up, that scheduling a good mid-major uh, power fives don't want to do because it's a lose-lose. Yeah. Like, not only you're paying them to play because it's usually a um, – uh, whatever you call that, like pay to play. Yeah, a bigger yeah. <laughs> conference is paying a uh, you know mid major money to come play them uh, because it makes sense if you're you know playing a team that sucks and you just need to win. And you just need you know <laughs> yeah. just kind of almost like a practice round. Um, but when you play these teams, it's it's exactly what you said. It's 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 a lose lose. You, you win and it doesn't matter, and you lose and you've just like completely utterly. Um, like ruins your image for a little bit. And Kentucky lost to Evansville earlier this year. Right. And Evansville has not won a conference game yet right. this year in the exactly. Missouri Valley. And that's exactly goes back to the point about having a, a, a target on your back. And those teams, they get up to like, they, okay, Ken, Kentucky is on our schedule. We get to play Kentucky. Like we'll never, we go, we get to go play Toledo. Like, no, we get to play Kentucky today. I'm going to try my hardest. We're going to buy into this, um, this scout, this game plan, everything. We're going to play them. Uh, you know, we're going to give them our absolute best game of the year. And, you know, Kentucky probably is like, we're playing Evansville. Half the guys don't even know where Evansville is. <laughs> and so that it seems like more than fo- half the country doesn't know where Evansville not, yeah, is. They're not focused, nothing. So, um, you know, that's when you really run into some issues. And that's why I think Power Five, uh, teams i think coaches more often worry about those games more than the players do because they are afraid that the players are going to just overlook it are there any mid-majors that you have watched this year that haven't gotten onto the national stage in terms of attention they aren't ranked 
that you look at as a potential upset alert type of team? That's a good question. Because I got one. Because I watch who, a lot of Missouri Valley. Who's yours? So I Northern Iowa. Yeah, wait, I, I was watching their highlights yesterday. They uh, Dark Horse, right? Here's the thing that's so crazy with mid-majors. Is there a team that's probably a top 40 team, but they're going to have to win the conference tournament in order to get in? Which, which adds even more stress and pressure. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And last year you saw in the Missouri Valley, Bradley ended up winning. Mm-hmm. And they were like the fourth or fifth best team right. in the regular season. Right. And they played Michigan State down to the wire in yeah. that first round. Yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, I think the Atlantic 10 Conference, which we haven't talked about. Oh, yet, yeah. I think, obviously, Dayton is winning that conference. And they're you know, top 10 in the country. And they're super good with Obi Toppin. But I think a, a team from that conference, I think. VCU, maybe. Yeah, I'm looking Rhode Island too. They're yeah. um, second in conference, and I, the A10 is a super competitive conference. I think that's almost like a like a top two, top three conference in mid majors. Um, I always think it's super competitive. It's, and you never, you just, you never know on any given night. Those teams are really well coached, have really great. It's almost like a Big East, like mid major Big East kind of like type of battle. That's what I was just going to say. Is it's like you have your Power Five, right? And then you have in that same kind of Big East is better than all these Power Five schools. They're in that mix. Uh, and then you got the American and right. the A10. Right. I think A10 is way better than American. Yeah. Uh, but, and I'm a big American fan because um, my brother went to SMU. So, oh, sweet. Big SMU fans. Yeah. They've been a little bit down. But, um, Houston is always good, it seems. They always find ways yes. to just keep. Yeah. Kelvin Sampson. He's done a great job there. Yeah, and Tulsa is also in Cincinnati. Uh, I think Memphis lost yesterday, so they might be uh, out of the. But yeah, no, I think you know you look to conferences like an A ten or an American, and and someone in that could could make a run. Uh, Those are the. Only... I really like St. Mary's. I like how they play. Yeah, uh, they they've got to get in the tournament though. That's the hard thing, like you said about uh, those yeah. conferences, is uh, getting into the tournament. At least with the A10 and the American, is they do get a little more respect in the sense that they will get some at-large bids. Yeah, I also think um, I don't think this is the year for an Ivy to make an upset, but uh, that might be a bad take. You might you might look back at this <laughs> tournament time and the, the Ivy League goes on a. a is run. Yale the, still the top team? Yeah. I was watching. Do you see the end of that Yale game against Harvard? I think no. Yeah, Harvard. <laughs> yeah, where he got fouled and was shooting the three. Yeah, and he made it. And they spend five minutes reviewing how much time's left on the clock, and the poor kid misses his free throw. Yeah, it's probably because their technology isn't as. as uh, They're only like as two cameras. So there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> camera angles aren't quite the, quite the same as when it's uh, ESPN broadcast. But that that's an interesting team there. No, so, it is, and you always. Honestly, the amount of times an Ivy League has upset someone in the NCAA tournament over the last ten years is. I think more often than not. More more but often just, than people realize. I don't think... I just... I don't know. You don't know. I don't foresee them uh, upsetting anybody this year. I don't think it's as strong. But. Jumping around to some of these other conferences. Auburn's a great story with Bruce Pearl. Yes. You know, I was reading the other day how uh, it used to be, you know, Kentucky was the SEC basketball like, yeah. team. And that it was really hard to always play at Rupp Arena because, you know, the fans are crazy, whatever. 
But I read this article the other day about how Auburn has become like the place that no one wants to play in the SEC. Interesting. And that like the fans are crazy and, and in like a good way, in a very right, passionate yeah. way. Um, yeah. And that it's become kind of a real home court advantage for Auburn. So, uh, yeah, I'm honestly, I'm a big Tennessee fan. My, my grandparents live down uh, near Knoxville. So, i uh, always been a UT fan. So, I, I, I liked Pearl when he was there. Um, obviously. Entertaining character. Some, some violations here and there had, had led his way to Auburn. Um, but, no, I'm... I love his energy. I really like how his teams play. I think I've been a big fan of, of their team the last few years. Uh, and it's kind of like bringing SEC men's basketball kind of back in. I think it gets overlooked a lot because the football is so good. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, the run they can make in, in the NCAA tournament for sure. Yeah, SEC is interesting. And even just ending out the t- uh, the SEC, how they how they're gonna do? LSU is good this year. Yeah, LSU. You know, I the more I watch that Skylar Mays, the more I actually like him. At first, I was like, <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of slow. I feel like he just uh, shoots threes, and that's pretty much all. Like I saw him play Utah State early in the year. Who Utah State actually was preseason top twenty five. They've kind of teetered off the end, but um, they you know he's solid, uh, and they play. No, they play hard. I, I, that's why it's really hard to know uh, early on in the season who's going to be good. Because it's so hard. I saw LSU, you know, <laughs> second week of the season. I was like, I don't know, they're not that good. And now they're, you know, top twenty-five, tied for first in the SEC, could make a big run end of season. So uh, I'll be interested to see how they close out the season. The LSU team that went to the Final Four in 2006 was one of my favorite teams as a kid with Tyrus Thomas, Glenn Big Baby Davis. You know, was uh, was Garrett Temple on that team? I think he came later. Okay. Let's see when he played it. I want to say he was around. He played in LSU. Like around 08, 09. 05, 09. So he was on the team. Oh, yeah, he was. So he's a freshman. Yeah. yeah. So he's a he's an NBA player. Yeah. Um, and he's he's been... Uh, uh, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I always know LSU uh, women have been really good. So they like they had Sylvia Fowles, yeah, uh, who's an Olympian, WNBA All Star, everything. Um, so you must have been a big fan of the Tennessee women's team. I was, yeah. I can't even I can't even talk about Pat Summit without like wanting to tear up. She's she was like my idol growing up. So uh, I was a huge Tennessee fan. So I always like I didn't really like UConn or Geno because of the kind of rivalry they had. Yeah. Uh, now I obviously am. You know, respect UConn Gino incredibly but always huge Lady Vol fan I've read all of Pat Summit's books uh, know all the players throughout the history of it my sister loves him too so we used to always you know talk about we were huge fans uh, so it was honestly exciting when uh, Tennessee men were good the past few years with like Admiral Schofield yeah. and Grant Williams and uh, so that was fun because you know I think Tennessee fans just want so badly for their sports to be good. Uh, Football's had football, a rough go. Oh my gosh, I can't even. My my grandparents and my aunt and uncle also live in Knoxville, and so we always hear about, you know, they send us the paper, and, and they do not report on world news. They literally only report on <laughs> what the volunteers are doing. So just for their sake, I hope that you know, the men's team picks it up. I think uh, um, Coach Barnes, I think he's great for the men's team. Uh, but yeah, Tennessee women, 
be interested to see uh, they have a new coach this year, so former player Kelly Harper. Um, see how they do, but I think they'll turn it around. Hopefully, they've got so much tradition. I don't know why you wouldn't want to go play there. No, I, Candace Parker was so much fun to watch when she was there. Yeah, no, she was awesome, and she was a, a Chicago kid. She played at Naperville Central. Yeah, uh, and I remember seeing her play in, in high school, and I was like, "Wow, that's so she's so amazing." Uh, <laughs> and she obviously continues to be. Yeah, uh, but she was a stud, and it was so cool that she was going to Tennessee. Uh, big fan. Uh, that that team was so great. Yeah, they were great. So we'll, we can talk a little women's in a little bit. I want to see if there's some other stuff we want to talk about with the men's. Mm-hmm. You brought up, we were, you were talking about Tennessee mm-hmm. sports. I just thought about Vanderbilt just fired their athletic director. I know. And then they, they who'd they beat? They beat someone ranked this week. It was a big um, win. I think big win. It was their first. First conference win. And they beat LSU. Yeah. They Which be- is so random because they it's their only conference win. It's their only conference win going back over the last yeah, two years. 26 game SEC skid. Yeah. Whew. Unbelievable. That is <laughs> tough. Also, I don't think people understand. Then, Not only is that tough because your team sucks, but... <laughs> Then you're like hitting the recruiting trails and you're trying to get guys to your school and you haven't won an SEC game in two years. That's kind of a hard uh, sales pitch. <laughs> yeah. I guess the I guess the sales pitch would be uh, come be a part of our first win well, in two years. Bryce Drew was recruiting great. He only got three years and obviously Yeah, that was a raw deal for him. I thought that was – no one should get three years. You don't have enough time to get guys in. He, they were recruiting so well. Brought in uh, Darius Garland, and yeah. they had and they a couple have, uh, other guys. They've got um, Andrew Neesmith, yeah. who's doing really well. Yeah, and they had a lot of – Darius Garland blew out his knee like the third game of the right. year. And they had some other guys go down with injuries. Yeah. Now, obviously, they should have won at least one conference game without them. But yeah, wasn't the same roster. And Well, but you also have to look at – like the SEC right now, in the past few years when they've gone on these losing streaks, the SEC is super good. So it's yeah. really difficult to win. Again, this could be the best that the SEC has been in our lifetime as sports fans, potentially. Yeah. No, for sure. For basketball, yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously. No, I'm just looking at these losses, though. Like, I mean, they're losing to 20 by Texas A&M, uh, you know. Florida, you know, you know has been disappointing this year is Florida. They were, they were yeah, they, they were starting out at seven or eight. Yeah, exactly. That shows you they've got some like five star recruits that uh, haven't been like you know immediate contributors, and I don't know. I think that that Florida coach might be on the hot seat. Oh, interesting. You know, I was thinking. About- I think. I think. Well, we haven't talked about Big Twelve yet, but I think Texas. I think Shock is smart. There's no question in my mind. I'd put. I put. Yeah, I would firmly believe that he will be fired after this year. Which is too bad because it seems like he's a great guy and he's a good coach. I think he's, I don't know, they just haven't gotten the players there. Yeah, it's been surprising. I thought they would have reached more success by this point. And VCU is still a very strong program without him, which is interesting. I know the LSU coach, uh, Will Wade, was... Uh, the VCU coach after Shaka. Yeah. There's, you know, it's kind of like the Butler thing. Yeah, exactly. All Butler coaches go to better things. So Florida is six and four. So they're a bubble team right now. They're six and four in conference, 14 and nine. 
Yeah. We'll see if they can kick in in a gear down the stretch here. They're going to need to. No, they really will. And if you see, they're just, like, really inconsistent. Um, so, yeah, I don't know with them. They were inconsistent in the, in the non-conference. They would play really well and then not. And I think they lack that senior leadership that uh, you know, I talked about earlier. I think that they don't necessarily have, like, an identity and uh, just figuring that out. It's hard in this in this stretch of the season. The Vols, going back to Tennessee, mm-hmm. they had a good – I was watching that game. They played Kansas very close. Mm-hmm. Kansas was missing a few players from that uh, altercation. But I can't remember his name, the big guy that mm-hmm. Tennessee has. I like his post game. Yeah. No, I, I think that uh, that could have been a game that really could have like propelled them forward. Yeah. And instead – you know, it was just so oh, in another loss that we have to deal with. But yeah, no, that that uh, their big guy is is really good and uh, kind of stepping into a role. I think it's it's hard when you have all your stars leave all at once. I think it's hard adjustment the year after, and I think you know they've rolled with the punches a little bit. But uh, hopefully, as I'm a Tennessee fan, uh, yeah, they figure figure something out. And like I said, I like Rick Barnes. So I hope that he has success. What's your assessment of the Big 12? Big 12 is super down this year. I'm usually a really big uh, Big 12 fan. I think they always have really exciting games. And they've had some really fun players like you know Trey Young, Buddy Heald at Oklahoma. Uh, Jalen Fisher at TCU. Right. Now he's at Grand Canyon University, which uh, my sister Laura is at TCU. They often joke that GCU is a knockoff TCU. Well, the logo is pretty much saying the colors. Exactly. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Um, And then, you know, Texas Tech isn't as good this year. Uh, You know, Iowa State has been down. Um, So... You know, Baylor, though, obviously, number one team in the country, so you got to give them credit there. Uh, and then Kansas, obviously, is a mainstay. I'm surprised by West Virginia. I saw them play earlier, and I just – I did not think that they would be as good as they are, but they are um, – they're ranked in the top 15. Great coach. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he's tough. I don't know if I'd want to play for him, but he gets the job done. <laughs> he uh, loves the press. I haven't seen a coach who's loved the press as much as he does. Yeah, he's he's wild. Um, but I think that you know it's top heavy this year, which is not yeah. usually the case. I think it's usually um, pretty competitive. But if you see like the middle of the conference is just beating each other up, they're all either six and four, five and five, four and six. So it's pretty, and a bunch of those teams are like that. Uh, whereas Baylor's ten and zero, and Oklahoma State's one and nine. So everyone in the middle, it's pretty competitive. I think. Uh, you know, I could see Baylor making a big run. I can't too. I don't think, you know, I don't like Bill Self in March. I I don't I don't like Kansas in March. Yeah, I never trust them. Never no, can trust them. I'm, I'm to yeah. But the, Devin Dotson though, he he's you know, if you want to tune into Kansas, he's an awesome player. He's an awesome point guard. Uh, I'm a fan of his game, but I just don't love Kansas. Yeah, and Azubuki is one of the best defensive yeah. bigs. And in- yeah, if he doesn't get two fouls within like three minutes, <laughs> he's always in foul trouble. <laughs> he always is. Yeah. What about the Pac-12? Your thoughts on the Pac-12? You know, Pac-12. It's so funny. I was saying this to um, someone the other day, and obviously we're going to get to the women's basketball talk. Yeah. But 
Pac-12 women used to be really bad. Women's basketball used to be pretty bad. And then Pac-12 men was good. Now Back in the Pac-10 days. Right. Now that it's like completely flip-flop because Pac-12 women are incredible. Like best conference in the country. And Pac-12 men uh, is not the best in the country. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's Talk about a – they all beat up on each other and, and on any given night anybody could win, but their top is not strong, which means like, you know, the level of competition is, is way, way further down. Uh, you know, I like Peyton Pritchard at Oregon. He's kind of a player of the year candidate, but uh, he plays really, really hard. I kind of he gives me Aaron Kraft vibes from Ohio State back <laughs> in the day, uh, but he can shoot a lot better, and he's like that senior leader who can really propel them forward. But uh, I would not bet money on them. Um, Arizona, I don't know Sean Miller. I never know what he's going to do with those teams. He's always got the talent, but uh, rarely totally puts it together. They haven't really been on a deep run. In right. a long time. Right. And I, I think, actually, I really like that Nico Manian, who's the, yeah. um, the point guard. I actually think he's really good. Uh, but um, I'm trying to think of who I else. can't believe he's from Italy. He doesn't look Italian at all. His parents are. Yeah. Yeah, his parents are. Yeah. Um, but Colorado is, is leading the big uh, – or the Pac-12. But they, I wouldn't say, are my favorite – to watch necessarily. I, I don't, I don't mind Oregon. Um, and it's interesting that the bottom three are Washington, Oregon state and Washington state. And Washington has two of like the top 15, like two lottery picks on their team. Um, Oregon state has got some real strong players as well. Uh, with, um, Tyler Kelly, their big player. And then, uh, Trey Tinkle, who's like a small forward. Uh, he can, he can drop in 25, 30 on any given night. Uh, and then Washington State also with C.J. Ellaby has uh, an NBA prospect. So that clearly doesn't help you, though, because you're at the bottom of the conference. But you know, even <laughs> Oregon State's second to last, but they have four wins in conference. So that shows you how kind of equal playing field it is. Um, and then, you know, Colorado at the top is eight wins. So just everyone is within, you know, about three games of, of the top. So – uh, competitive, but what I, I don't think that the quality of basketball is, is is very high. I would take. I think Big Ten is way better than Pac twelve. I think Pac twelve yeah. is definitely the worst of the um, Power Five this year. Yeah, and, and, and has been for the past few w- years. W- okay, who else would you put it below in terms of the power? At, you got the Power Five, and then we got those high major, the yeah. high mid majors that we're talking about. Yeah, <clears throat> obviously the Big East is above it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I think I think when it comes to basketball, I think that the Big East is considered one of the top conferences. Yeah. Um, what about? I think the Pac-12 is 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 below all Power Five. All yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I actually I would put it on par with maybe the American Conference. Okay. This year. Yeah. Yeah. I could be totally off. This could be, that could be a crazy take, but um, I that I would I would say that it's interesting because you know you got these big you, know, you got Stanford you got Cal. Uh, Cal Berkeley, you got Washington State, Washington, whatever, all these teams, USC, UCLA. So in theory, you're getting these unbelievable athletes, these great basketball players, but they just don't like, none of those teams have like identities to what they're doing. I just feel like they get a lot of moving pieces onto a team and they never gel. That's how I always feel watching Pac-12 basketball is like, there's no, 
no cohesiveness. There's no, it's just a bunch of individuals out on the court. Guys trying to get drafted. Right. Yeah, that's how I feel sometimes, but uh, that's just my personal opinion on it. I don't know if that's a profession. <laughs> well, I like, I like the takes because I might, my strongest take I'll tell you on this podcast mm-hmm. was I predicted UMBC over Virginia. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you and like five other people. UMBC <laughs> yeah. grads, maybe. It wasn't like the AD at UMBC. And he probably even. Did you, had you seen a lot of UMBC? I watched year? them in the conference tournament. Oh, okay. So, conference tournament week, I study up on all these teams yeah. so I can be ready to yeah. podcast about March Madness. For sure. And I try to watch, like, you and I were both watching mm-hmm. the Ivy League game the other right. day. Right. So, I, I always love it, yeah. but American East games are not on TV very often. No, no. Well, and also, it used to, a ton of those games used to be on ESPN3, which is pretty easy to get online. Yeah. But now they moved a lot to ESPN, Plus, which is something you have to pay for. Yeah, exactly. You don't just get it with a cable subscription, which ESPN3, you can. Um, so, yeah, they've made it more difficult, just like, you know, the rest of TV world is trying to get you to subscribe to things. <laughs> just got to want to watch something, and I got to get Hulu+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Apple+, Plus, ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> World's changing. All right, Maggie, what should we be watching for on the women's game down the stretch here? So... Um, I'd say a couple of things. I'd say my, my top two, 1A and 1B. Uh, 1A is, shameless plug, Northwestern women are <laughs> awesome this year. Seriously. They are um, 19-3 and, and tied for first in the Big Ten. And they play – I know a lot of people want to go watch uh, electric offenses. I know I do. But they – Play such great defense. They, um, you know, my coach, Coach McEwen at Northwestern, he has this blizzard defense, and he never wants me to use the Z word, the zone, but it, <laughs> it's a matchup zone. Um, and they have Sydney Wood and um, Veronica Burton, who are two sophomores, which is awesome, who run the uh, up down guard in that matchup zone, and they're just like swarming everywhere. They get their hands on every single pass. Um, Veronica Burton is uh, a finalist for National Defensive Player of the Year Award. Wow. So they just shut down defenses defensively, offensively. Um, they just kind of grind out possessions. They, uh, you know, we've got Lindsay Pulliam, who played on uh, Team USA over the summer, and she she's going to be a 2,000-point scorer. She's just a junior, so that's awesome. Uh, she is – she's bringing the pull-up mid-range game back. Um She's unbelievable. Anyways, long story <laughs> short, Northwestern women are great. I'm really excited to hopefully they can make a little run um, in March, finish out the uh, Big Ten season strong. My one B after that long tangent about Northwestern. <laughs> um, well, wait, wait, wait! I want to stop you for a second. Okay. Northwestern, because you're you're trying to sales pitch to watch the women's team. What yes. men's team would you equate their style to right now? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, your, your classic comparison of a good defense and like not super high scoring offense, but still, you know, has really good offensive players would be like a Virginia. Virginia plays man to man though. And they play like a pack line defense. So a little bit different. Um, and then, you know, a a team that classically plays zone would be like a Syracuse, but they just sit in that two, three and they're just long. That's why they're good at it. Um, you know, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd just I'd, I'd give it a Virginia comparison, even though it's, okay. it's different. It's a matchup zone. It's not man. It's not pack line. Um, but so Virginia from last year, not Virginia from yeah, this let's, year. Yeah, let's Virginia from last year. <laughs> National champion. All right, I like that point, comparison. What's point two? Point two is uh, Oregon women's basketball. Sabrina Nescu. She mm, yeah. is. National Player of the Year last year, I'm pretty sure, will be, or maybe Megan Gustafson from Iowa beat her, um, but she'll be National Player of the Year this year. She's the best college basketball player right now and potentially one of the best college basketball players ever. Uh, she just got her 24th triple-double of her career on, on Friday night. She has the most triple doubles of any college basketball player ever, and she beat that record like last season. Uh, she could have gone to the WNBA after last season, decided to come back because she wants to win a national championship. I think they're the national champion um, favorites right now. They so she's unbelievable. She can drop thirty five on it uh, on a night, or she could have sixteen assists on a night, or she can have seventeen rebounds. Not usually all at once, but like when she has ten points, you actually. If you're playing against her, you almost want her to score more points because you, the, the less points she scores, the more rebounds and assists she's going to get. So she is unstoppable in the pick and roll game. She, I've never seen someone like it. She makes the correct read all the time. Uh, she makes her teammates better. She's so hard to guard. They also have, and what makes her so good is this girl Ruthie Hebbard, Hebbard on the team. She's like a six four post player who is super mobile though. They run the pick and roll game, and she, I think Ruthie Hebbard leads the nation in field goal percentage. So um, she's dynamite around the basket. Any pick and roll situation, pass to her. She finishes through contact. Unbelievable rebounder. I think averages a double double. Um, so, and then you've got Satu Sabali, who's. Um, kind of like a she's a power forward like stretch four who can also handle the ball and so she's kind of similar with Ruthie Hubbard uh then you've got uh Aaron Boley who is an unbelievable shooter she's spot up so you know everyone collapses on a, on Sabrina off the pick and roll you pop out to a shooter you've got um Minion Moore who's actually a transfer from USC on Oregon who plays splits point guard with uh Sabrina you've got Taylor Chavez who comes off the bench who's super good they've got this British girl, Australian girl comes off the bench. So, I mean, they are dynamite. I don't know how you guard them. It's like, it's that phrase, uh, you can't stop them. You can only hope to contain them because they're so good. Uh, that's must-watch TV. If, if, if Oregon women are on, I'd watch that. So, I got a good question. You're talking about the greatness of Sabrina. Yeah. From the last 10 years, mm -hmm. if you had to do a Mount Rushmore of women's college basketball... Ooh. I'm not ready for this. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Okay. I would put Sabrina Nescu hands down. I'd put... Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to put both Agumake sisters that played at Stanford. They get one person. So. <laughs> okay. Agumake's is Yes, fun. yeah, yeah, Sabrina yeah. Agumake's because they were unstoppable in college. They They're so like co-heads on the Mount yeah. Rushmore. <laughs> yeah, they were so good. Yeah. Um, Ah, oh, this is so hard. Um, I think, I don't know, I think you might have to put Kelsey Plum because yeah. she scored so many points. But then I also, uh, you know, I mean, Candace Parker. Well, uh, I said 10 years. Brianna Stewart. Because. <laughs> oh, Candace Parker is out. Yeah, it's yeah. true, true, true. So 
Um, so like since 2010. Yeah, I guess I have to put I have to put Brian Stewart. Um, yeah, I probably put Brian Stewart. Uh, Agumaki sisters might be out, outside of the ten though. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe not. This is too hard. I'm not prepared. <laughs> I'm not prepared for this. Hey, tell you We're what. We're gonna do multiple Mount Rushmores because I also I I. Uh, Rachel Banham is this girl who played at Minnesota who, uh, I mean, she dropped 62 on us once. Uh, she's close to Kelsey Plum in, in scoring uh, career. Um, she was super good. Um, I mean, UConn, you got to think. <laughs> yeah. like Brianna Stewart, uh, Skylar Diggins, and Jewel Lloyd at Notre Dame. Uh yeah. I'll tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, Asia, March, Asia Wilson in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. March Madness. You come back on the podcast. Yeah. And you can and have... I'm ready. Yeah. You come prepared. You could you could have your all-decade team for the 2010s. All-decade. Okay. I could do that. Might be a little easier. You could have a bench. You, can, yeah, you don't have to just have five. Bench. And then I got reserves, alternates, the yeah. whole thing. I got maybe <laughs> two teams playing against each other. <laughs> maybe I got to have a West Coast team, East Coast team, whatever. Have you seen uh, Carissa McLaughlin play at all from Purdue? Yes, she I had have. that game against Northwestern yeah, last say, year. She lights it up when she, when she's when she's hitting. She's hitting. Um, I think uh, no, she's a real solid player. And I think that was last year we lost to them, and uh, she lit us up. She hit eight threes or something, yeah. and I, I was watching that game. That, yeah. I didn't know who she was before that. I watched yeah. that game. I'm like, who is this? Yeah, I've seen her play a few other times. She's great. Yeah. But that game, she had that step back jumper for the win. It was unbelievable. I know. Trust me. I remember it. Bring up bad memories. Sorry. No, you're Sorry. good. Uh, just, <laughs> I was just thinking just, big just a fan 10. now. Um, but yeah, I think you no, know, she's a great player. And anytime that you can, you know, shoot that accurately in a big time game, it's one thing to like, you know, shoot really well in practice or whatever, but to hit that many threes in a game and under pressure situations like the game winner, uh, that's that's awesome. That that's incredible. Um I think when, last time we played her, we shut her down. So kind of shut Purdue down. Uh, but yeah, no, she, she's awesome for sure. In terms of women's sports, you like, do you pay attention to volleyball, college volleyball or softball? I do. Yeah. I used to play softball when I was younger. So um, I'm a big Northwestern softball fan and I, I follow along their team. They were really good last year. Yeah, they were. Um, I It's so important. And this might sound obvious, kind of like in basketball, like you got to make shots. Um, in softball, you got to have a good pitcher. Like it is so important. You can have a great offense, but if you don't have, if you don't have a leader on defense, like a a really good pitcher, it's, it's going to be hard to like win a lot of games, especially when you're playing, uh, you know, teams in like a triple header or not triple header, but like, you know, three game series. Uh, it's really, really important to have a good pitcher. And I, they had that, um, and we always have great offense. That's the thing about Northwestern. So uh, just got to get a good pitcher, which which we do have. Uh, great coaches, um, Kate and Carol Drowan uh, have been there forever. They're sisters, and they just do such a great job. Uh, but no, I'm a big. Uh, it's so much fun to watch. Like Pac-12 SEC softball is awesome. Uh, so so good. College volleyball so much fun to watch. Oh yeah. Though I mean, it is unbelievable their athleticism. Like uh, Big Ten volleyball is potentially one of the best conferences in the country, and we used to always go to Northwestern games uh, and just to see, you know, like a Nebraska Penn state come in and those athletes and what they can do and how they receive, they spike the ball so hard. And then the ability to dig and then get to like a good set and then a good kill. 
It's incredible. It is. Those, those girls are so athletic. Um, I'm also big actually lacrosse, uh, women's lacrosse. Oh, okay. My roommate, um, and Northwestern is always good. Was a lacrosse. lacrosse player. So, and a bunch of my friends, uh, from Northwestern were lacrosse. So I got really into lacrosse and, uh, that's a, that's a really fun sport for me because it is, uh, has a lot of similarities to basketball in terms of like cutters through the lane and like defensive schemes and offensive schemes. You'll see, like, if you watch it, it's very similar to how like a, a basketball offense is run and defense. Um, so, uh, that's Northwestern has been obviously really, really good. Uh, they have not won a national championship in, I think I, I want to say six years, um, which is huge drought for us because we won seven in 10 years. Yeah. Um, but basically a new cheer boys lacrosse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's super fun to watch. And, uh, I'm also, I'm a big gymnastics fan too. Oh, okay. Uh, I, Olympics this uh, Pac- summer. Yeah, and uh, Pac-12 gymnastics is really, really good. My aunt lives in Park City, Utah, and she's a big Utah gymnastics fan. So um, I followed that. UCLA gymnastics is really good. Uh, Oklahoma, obviously not Pac-12, but they, they're they really good. They have Maggie Nichols, who uh, if she hadn't torn her ACL right before Rio, she would have been on the Olympic team. Uh, so I'm a big sports fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun talking about some of these sports that don't get talked about on the yeah. big, uh, you know, that's why it's good to have a podcast. You can talk about whatever mm-hmm. you want right. and give some love to some of these sports that don't get as much attention and coverage. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think we t- I talk about that a lot with you know my fellow teammates when we were at Northwestern uh, with even like women's athletics where, you know, men get all the attention. Uh, and at the end of the day, and I think, you know, at least at Northwestern, the male athletes respected us and the coaches respected us where at the end of the day, we're all working just as hard as they are. And like, we are just as good as our, at our craft, maybe if not better, um, uh, depending on the team. And so it's interesting how attention is not always because of how good you are, how hard you work or how serious you are. It's just kind of like how society looks at, uh, female athletics. Uh, and, and certain athletics, like I'm lucky yeah. enough that I played basketball. So that is the, that and softball. Softball are, is really are like the highest, uh, softball like, like is televised a- games on ESPN. Yeah. So I'm lucky that I'm, I played you know, traditionally the most popular women's sport, but I can't imagine being, you know, the best field hockey player ever. <laughs> yeah. And like your opportunities post, uh, post playing career are not as high and, so, uh, no, but we always talk about that, how it's like, you know, you, you, you work just as hard, you put in just the amount of same, the same work, uh, you care about it, you're just as serious. And just because society, society does not view it as the same as men does not mean that we're not as good of athletes. Yeah. Yeah. And softball is, gets more viewership than the men's world series. Yeah. Because it's for, way more exciting. For college, yeah. <laughs> It's faster pace. I yeah. like both games. I no, no, for great. sure. But and yeah. I don't want to say, you know, baseball's not as good. But, like, uh, I just think the uh, College World Series for um, softball, if you don't watch softball a lot, it's it's kind of like a fun, like, shortened version. Oh, yeah. You know? It's su- and, and I think the speed of the game is super fun with, like, you know, people who slap and drag bunt and sprint first. And, like, you know, all that is is really, really fun. Maggie, uh, I guess the last thing I'll give you a chance to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Do you have any guess how long we've been talking? It goes by fast. I don't know. Maybe like 
An hour? Hour 20. Wow. I know, right? She's got a lot to say. <laughs> Podcast. It's so fun. You just, yeah. it flies when you start. So, Cubs. Any Cubs, Cubs opinions, takes going into this season. Spring training starts on Wednesday. Which is crazy. You know, to be honest, uh, I... When we aren't as good and there's like discord and we fire mad and whatever, I'm someone who likes to remove myself from, uh, or else I get too upset about it. Like I get, I'm, I understand that. Believe me. I'm a big sports fan. So like when things start to go bad, I don't want to be a part of like the bad conversations. Um, sports is, you know, it's entertainment value. Uh, so I have not been following as much along with the, um, you know, our off-season plays or off-season, uh, you know, decisions. But uh, my one opinion I have is about the David Ross hire, and I don't know if I loved that hire. I think it's hard. Well, is he a great leader? Should he be a manager? For sure. Like, he seems – his baseball mind and his leadership and everything, what he provided to the Cubs when he was on the Cubs was second to none, and we needed that. But to bring someone back to a team that you – He's now like a authority figure to these guys who he played with and who friends with and you know went out with and all this stuff. There's some kind of uh, there's like a fine line between coach and player, and I worry that he's going to have to dance that a little bit more creatively than than most managers do. Uh, so I'm going to be interested to see how that works out. And also it's like, you know, Chicago loves him. I love him. Cubs fans love him and I don't want to not love him. So that's another thing that factors into wanting to take a job like that. That's, it's a lot of pressure to do well. And when you don't do well, you don't want a fan base that loves you to now hate you. So that's just sports, I guess. The other part is that they haven't done anything to improve the roster. So Right, which I, I know is like a lot of negative. Uh, I always hear my, yeah. my, my dad and my sister always talk. Well, that just makes it even harder for David Ross because it's like if the team doesn't perform, it's all going to be on him. Everyone's right. going to look at him. the only difference is him and Matt. Yeah. Exactly. And that's so weird to me because if you're trying to make this team improve from one year to the next right. in a division that's crowded, the Reds are going to be a good team this year. People right. are underestimating the Reds. Cardinals, Brewers, all, they're all going to be good. They're right. four good teams in the division. Right. You haven't done anything to make the roster better. Yeah. And now all the pressure, I mean, it's all going to be on him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like then the other thing that's weird is you talked about this. There are some guys who are on this team now. Ian Happ, mm-hmm. uh, Jose Quintana, mm-hmm. Hugh Darvish. They weren't there for the World Series. Right. It's... I would think if I was one of those guys, I'd feel like a bit of an outsider because these other guys who played with him would have more of an in with him than I yeah. would. Yes and no, because I almost feel like he will actually be able to treat um, treat the guys who he didn't play with a little bit more like authentically as a yeah. manager, you know? Uh, but it's just awkward that there are guys still there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think that you know, what you would hope because, you know, professional sports organization that these guys are all professionals now. So it's different. You know, you still have some level of like manager player relationship, but they're all, you know, adults and professionals and have been in the business. And so they, I, I would hope that they have kind of a level of respect and level of maturity that maybe, you know, college level wouldn't have, uh, but yeah, no, I think that it it that definitely throws like a different dynamic, an interesting dynamic into it. Is 
you know, some of these guys know him, some of them don't. So uh, I hope that's not, there's no discord there. I worry that he's going to try and like be overcompensating and be kind of like a jerk to Rizzo or you know right. what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I don't think that would ever happen, but you know what I mean? Like try, I, I trying, to prove, mean. trying yeah. to prove a point. So I don't know. Yeah. That was my only hesitation this off season. <laughs> I, I didn't, I love him. I think that he should be a manager. I think that's definitely what he's made to be, but I just didn't like the move to us. Yeah, and I think, again, it's the idea of, like, so this is the only thing that somehow the team's going to be better by going from a World Series winning manager to a guy who's never coached before. Right. That's the part that's just so weird to me. Yeah. But it's tough because, like you said, you look at all of his mind, his great career he had as a leader, and you see that guy could be a great manager. I just don't know if this is the best situation for him because of all these things that we bring up. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And and they must they must have had a lot of conversations over the past year, year and a half, two years, um, about you know, how they viewed this to go. And I think what he maybe can provide and what I think Madden provided for a while was this like culture. Um he's part of the winning culture and that level of, you know, keeping it loose and fun and, and easy, but also being serious and competitive when you need to be. Um, and for Ross to know what that was like as a player, um, I think maybe he can reach the players a little bit better. I, I felt like Madden was doing a good job with that. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. At least they haven't traded Chris Bryant. That's that's the one silver lining. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm afraid that you know the whole team is going to, we're going to just dismantle the team in the next like two years. We will see what happens. But Maggie, you did a great job today. Thank you. I know first first podcast felt like it was, it you're was natural. Easy. I know at times I uh, hope I didn't have too many hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, so, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote while you're here? Throughout your social media handle, anything of that nature? You know, I, I just kind of uh, retweet a lot of things on my Twitter, so no need to, but it's uh, it's MLion25. Oh, uh, you have to tell the Skylar Diggins story on oh, Twitter. Oh, oh, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I just, I tweeted about this story, uh, ESPN did the story about how, uh, let me, let, let me bring it back. NBA players. Let, let me bring it, let me yeah. bring it back a little yeah. bit. So. When Skylar Diggins was at Notre Dame, she wore this headband that Adidas was making at the time. Um, and it was like a tie headband. So you, it's like a thick band and then you tie it in the back. Uh, kind of like a karate. Right. Like type people of look. said, yeah, exactly. But it was like an actual headband. She, she didn't wear it on her forehead. She wore it in like in her hair. Um, anyways, and that became like the Skylar Diggins headband. Everyone, all the girls, everyone wanted to wear that because that was what Skylar Diggins was wearing. And ever since that, which was, you know, she was playing. 10 years ago or something like that. Um, that's been like one of the most popular things that girls basketball players wear. And it has been Skylar Diggins started that. Um, so two years ago, NBA players started to wear this headband more in like a ninja style is what they call it. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, after the season that NBA players started to wear it, uh, the NBA, of course, as most organizations do try to complicate things and they banned the wearing of that headband. Um, and ESPN did this whole article about, uh, you know, the, the, the rise of like the ninja headband in the NBA and how they started this trend and they started this fashion thing. And so I was, 
I was pretty mad about it because I was like, I'm sorry, no, they did not. Skylar Diggins was doing this 10 years ago. And if you've looked at girls basketball, we've been wearing this. Uh, so I tweeted something to the effect of, um, like, n- what I just said, basically. No, uh, if you were paying attention to girls basketball this whole time, Skylar Diggins started that trend or whatever. And Skylar Diggins retweeted me. And it was... I felt pretty, you know, internet famous for a hot second. <laughs> I got like 500 likes on it, like 80 retweets. The whole night my phone was blowing up. I was like, <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm Twitter famous right now. So now I, I feel like I know what it feels like. Uh, but it was, it was, uh, it was cool. And I don't have a ton of like really strong opinions, but that one really bothered me. I was like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're paying attention to anything on the women's side, you would know that this has existed for 10 years. Well, and in your defense, you didn't sound that mad. It seemed more no, like you I were was just more like checking someone. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, fact check. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm follow sorry. Maggie on Twitter. That yes. Twitter handle again is MLion25. Uh, if you want, uh, you know, a lot of retweets about Northwestern women's basketball. And that's the only thing that I'm plugging. Uh, go to their games and hopefully for a top four seed in the NCAA tournament, we'll host the first two rounds. So if we keep going uh, the way we're going, that'll happen. That would be great. Come back during March Madness sometime. Yeah, for sure. All right. Break it down how it's going. Sweet. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, that concludes my conversation with Northwestern women's basketball legend, Maggie Lyon, did a great job. So glad she was able to join me today to talk college basketball. Also talk a little bit about the women's game in addition to the men's game. And also talk a little bit of baseball because we're just a few days away from liftoff with spring training. Pitchers and catchers reporting a spring training Wednesday, February 12th. It's a good time. It's a good time of year. It's a good time of year. We got college basketball in full swing. We got baseball getting up off the ground. We got pro hockey. We got pro basketball. There's a lot of good stuff in the fridge right now. It's not one of those times where you just open up the fridge, you look around, and there's nothing. There's plenty of good stuff. It's all paving the way for springtime when we get the Masters. Major League Baseball season starts March Madness. And then the NBA and NHL playoffs. Really right now, it's the calm before the storm. Really glad I was able to break down some college hoops with Maggie Lyon today. As I mentioned, Survivor Season 40 premiere, Survivor Winners at War, is premiering on Wednesday, February 12th. If you are interested in going back, just a couple days ago, I previewed Season 40 with Aaron Levitt, made our predictions for what we're looking for in this season, who's going to win, who's going to be a two-time champ or three-time champ. We'll find out. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to the Jack Vita show on iTunes and you will always be notified whenever there's fresh content available. Trust me, guys, you do not want to miss out. So many great podcast episodes still to come in the year 2020. Uh, we're off to a great start right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Jack Vita show. That's the same handle I have on Instagram as well. You can find me on there, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Who are we sleeping on right now? Is Michigan State going to turn it around? Tweet me. Let me know. Let me hear your thoughts. I'll be back either later this week or next week with some more sports content, probably pertaining to college hoops, 
NBA, or Major League Baseball. Until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>